Hello and welcome to the Sekiro Podcast. My name is Porik and as Oshin is away skiing, I'm joined by Andrew Barker. Hi Porik, thanks for having me on. Uh, I've been working in the background for the last while, giving Oshin a hand, playing rugby for about nine seasons and giving Oshin generally most insights and anything to do with the forwards. So it's all lies, everything he says. Oshin managed to give me a set of practice notes that you guys had generated from a week earlier. And uh, I noticed an awful lot of Oshin's notes were verbatim text messages and WhatsApp messages that I had sent to him about observations to certain games we watched. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, don't forget, everyone, um, podcasts like these grow with your support. So follow us on Facebook.com forward slash The Second Row and on Instagram and Twitter at The Second Row. That's 2ND, not the word second. And it's really important for us to grow that you like and share the podcast wherever you can. Before we talk about round 14 of the Pro 14, that's going to be a mouthful. Let's get into the rugby news from the week. And only two real headlines. Fiji have won the Hamilton Sevens. Yeah, it was a really interesting tournament, actually. But uh, in the end, I think Fiji were well-deserved winners. Yeah, uh, Scotland had a good show. They're really going to break through to that top four spot soon. But for us, we're waiting for Aaron to make it into the World Series. And a lot of people might not have known, but there was a tackle line trial in the English Championship, which has been, well cancelled due to the increase of concussion and less than less than ideal considering when you're trying to introduce these things to improve player welfare uh, you're seeing the reverse or the opposite effect to what you're trying to achieve so the fact that it's been stopped kind of makes sense yeah the problem is no stats have shown where the actual concussions have come from have they been from the tackle or the rook or is it because people are lowering into a tackle so until that type of information comes out it being stopped means nothing to be fair as well the issue with concussion is always going to be a difficult one to find the true source of it, considering how the very nature of rugby and how you go into contact. That's fair. And speaking of things that are difficult, we'll move on to Glasgow v Ospreys, which was definitely a difficult game to watch. Yeah, it was wet, it was slow, it was windy, and there was a lot of handling errors. But that said, I still enjoyed it. And I think credit has to go as much as the players to the commentators. I think their attitude towards watching the game, they were genuinely enthused to be there and to be describing what they were seeing on the pitch the difference a good commentary team makes is huge a bad game can be made into an okay game a good game can be made into an all-time classic one of my favorite moments was when they were describing why glasgow weren't going for points and kicking into the corner which was just once i heard it being said out loud i was like that just makes so much sense yeah so in a game like this where you're looking at weather conditions that you're going to struggle to maintain phase after phase It's all about territory. You want to put your pack in a position where they're always marching forward. And if you're playing in your opposition 22, they can't score points. So going for the corner instead of going for the three, you're either going to come away with five points or you're forcing the other side to have a successful exit from their own 22. And with Sam Davies at 10 for Ospreys, I was kind of expecting more from him with his experience. Like he's 100 plus caps for Ospreys, but he just wasn't using the win to good effect in any way, shape or form. Uh, I think some credit also has to go to the back three of Glasgow. I think they covered the backfield quite well and they accounted for that extra win. So they were sitting a bit deeper than they would normally. Yeah, that was really smart play. Even like the first half, there really isn't much to talk about. It was 3-0 to Ospreys at half time. Davies missed two kicks and given the scoreline, that was monumental. I think the talking points from the first half is both sides had very very strong resilient defenses and i suppose that's what you have to rely on if you're going to play in these type of weather conditions you have to make your one-on-one tackles and there was only one real attacking moment of note when osprey's got a line break through sam cross i do not know how osprey's didn't get a try from any of the follow-up phases to a nine-on-nine tackle to stop him half a meter from the try line the amount of effort and commitment that takes from glasgow was unbelievable so i think fair props for keeping them out definitely the next couple of phases then to get the turnover and clear their lines was huge 
and then to start the second half and get an early penalty to come 3-3 just let them gain momentum so they talk about the cliched line of score before a half time and score after half time but in this scenario keeping Ospreys out and then getting that three points is almost as good as a try before and a try after in these type of conditions what was really impressive me for Glasgow is they just played the conditions so much better than Ospreys like I know they're used to playing in Scottstown playing with that wind but it just seemed a lot more measured and better managed there's two sides of them as well you're used to the stadium which is quite exposed there isn't an awful lot of shelter from the wind or the conditions and also there was a couple of times where you noticed the Ospreys players seemed to get caught out by the bounce of the ball on the G4 surface but on top of that Glasgow did look more threatening in attack they were getting half breaks and line breaks not at will but making better use of the ball and that has a secondary knock-on effect then when you're worried about covering either a breakout wide or your fullback has to sit that closer to the defensive line it means you can't cover the backfield as much which then gives Glasgow greater opportunity to kick for territory as well and with the ball going forward they're just able to ratchet up the points taking their threes and off or going to 9-3 easily enough after some silly Ospreys mistakes for Glasgow to come away with four points well deserved at the same time I would say Ospreys probably deserved the losing bonus point I was a bit shocked that they kicked it out on 80 minutes when they had possession without trying to get something more from the game but I say that given how tight the conference is that losing bonus point might just be really important no for me I straight away kick the points you're in your own 22 all you have to do is slip one ball and you could lose everything. True, but they did have an extra man at that point, Matawalu, with the silliest yellow card, slapping the ball out of the scrum half's hands. Uh, I have no idea what, what rush of blood went to his head, but it was daft. Looking at this game, I think it was better managed by Glasgow overall, taking the points when they're on offer, and actually kicking their points when they're on offer, unlike Sam Davies, who missed his. There is one point, though, I would highlight, is that Ospreys had a far better scrum, which, again, in these conditions makes a huge difference. You've got a strong scrum, you're forcing the defending side's back row to stay bound, and then ultimately then that gives you an advantage going forward. It really does, and given the conditions, it was mad to see that both lineouts were very poor. But it wasn't just the weather conditions, it seemed to be an issue with cohesion, new players operating in pairs that didn't quite seem to come together. Yeah, this definitely seemed like a European hangover week of Pro 14 rugby and a lot of teams missing players with internationals coming up. It's also an opportunity for some of these more fringe players to try and prove their worth. So again, that that's an issue you have to deal with. And speaking of fringe players proving their worth, Leinster with a decent 22 points to 17 win against Scarlets? I mean, or a lucky 22 points to 17 win against Scarlets? I mean, you can make the arguments for both. I cards on the table I'm a diehard Leinster fan and have had a season ticket for the last nine years but I would say probably lucky yeah Scarlet's had a lot of ball and a lot of opportunities to win this match and their own lack of execution let them down yeah there was a couple of times where I found myself sitting in the south stand and I had Scarlet players running free roam through the middle of the pitch through gaps that apparently didn't exist until they ran through them what was surprising to me, the Leinster pack wasn't as on top as they usually are. Frawley had a harder game than he's used to for Leinster. I also found that it didn't seem like there was any leadership in the pack. I know Rob Carney, some people questioned him as captain, but you would still expect someone in the pack to step forward as a pack leader and kind of dominate, but it just didn't seem to happen. Especially with Jack McGrath there. like He was playing to get fitness for Ireland and possibly try and get that jersey of Keane Healy, and he definitely didn't do it on this showing. I mean, this has shown in the past as well. Jack McGrath has had one attempt at captaining a side and he'll never volunteer for it ever again. He's starting to become a senior player, but you just don't see that on-field leadership come out of him. And that could be shown there was a real lack of intensity in this game in general. 
there was a, an absolute lack of intensity when it comes to both the breakdown and the clear out just didn't seem as much of a priority as it has been in, in previous games. But Leinster were still able to kick their penalties when they came up. Frawley is a good place kicker. And as always, got a championship minutes try. Credit where credit is due to Leinster. The second half didn't start off at quite as well for you. Asquith with the almost perfect start for Scarlets. Yeah, I was just coming back from the bar with an absolute look of shock and terror again as I was watching a Scarlets player running down the pitch to score a try. And to be honest, on first look, I thought he had it. Looking at the ball, hit the ground, like that seems like a try. And then the frame by frame, like, no, no, that's definitely a knock on. I... I have a huge amount of sympathy when you've lost the ball at that close to the line. It's not like he went for the ash splash diving through the air. He just made a genuine mistake and spilled the ball forward. A bit of an early dive, no pressure though. So it's something he will have to learn on going forward. I think it's a good example for any young kids that are watching a game is that if it's not necessary, don't don't dive over the line. Definitely. And what was worrying for me, looking at it from a lens perspective, that was the third attempt at an intercept. This one actually came off. Yeah, so this is also seems to be coming, creeping into Leinster's game it's almost as if we're becoming a little bit more predictable it seems like teams are starting to see our patterns and learning from what we're doing so it's something we're going to have to be more careful with going forward and when you change a team as much as Leinster do the cohesion can go out the window and you could see that in defence especially at times when you don't quite know the person beside you to your left or your right as well as you do to other weeks you do start to doubt them so you have to fully trust in the system and what doesn't help is when your senior players like Rob Carney miss simple one-on-one tackles and Scarlett's got an easy try off that. Well, I do love Twitter because Twitter always loves to explode every time Rob Carney has half of a bad game. He didn't have a good game. He was a bit slow off the mark a couple of times and he did look a bit rusty. But I think that's why he was sent out to play. He was sent to shake off the rust before England next weekend. But three missed tackles that I say didn't help your nerves when you could see Scarlett screaming down the pitch. Isn't no. the best return on for a captain. No, and I think that's also, it highlights that maybe you have to be more careful. The most senior person on the pitch isn't necessarily the right choice as a captain. Well, Dan Jones won't complain anyway. Like It was a very easy try for him to score off of, of an outside run by Dan Davis. I think it is, it's always interesting when you're at a match and you notice the crowd. The crowd picks up on the drop of intensity. And I think certainly in the second half of the second half, there was a drop of intensity from Leinster. The crowd picked up on it and the place went a little bit dull or a bit flat. Yeah, and you only seemed to pick up intensity in the opposition 22. There was no real sense of urgency when we were anywhere outside of a try-scoring opportunity. And then suddenly we crossed the line and we'd almost get white line fever. Yeah, even though Lowe did score a lovely try in the corner, full credit to Gibson Park for just delaying that pass and making the numbers count even more. Yeah, Gibson Park was never one of my favourite players, but I think he's really come into his own this year and his partnership with some of the other players in particular low has really come on this year and your try scoring didn't stop there daily with a beaut of a try after forwards just link up brilliantly in midfield Scarlett did come back to get themselves a losing bonus point but I'd say this is a game they'll be coming out of the RDS thinking they should have won this yeah I think it's probably a game that Leinster were lucky to come away with the win and Scarlett's will look at it as a missed opportunity for both teams, I think it was lots of good individual performances. I think structurally and systematically, um, they won't be happy with their performance. No, I would agree with you there. And again, it comes into this time of season where you've got fringe players trying to put their hands up and put themselves forward for selection in the future. As a result of that, you're going to lose some cohesion then between different players. It does help Leinster though when your props can offload like backs. The skill levels are incredible. Yeah, I don't know if they're all playing basketball in their spare time or water polo, but there's skills coming out of Leinster's academy that 
I have no idea where they're getting it. That's for sure. It doesn't help, though, on the flip side, when your forwards aren't just doing enough of the ruck. You are getting turned over very easily. You need forwards to do a forwards job. It's all great having the silky hands, but you still have to go and do the ugly work. You still have to clear out and secure the ball. You don't have the ball, you can't score. Yeah, and the one-up tackling wasn't the best either. It linked in with the lock of intensity. Scarlets, though, they do need to improve their decision-making and execution. There's so many chances they left behind. There's a couple of times where they were trying to force it. If they had just taken the ball, gone to contact, recycled it and gone out wide, I think they probably would have scored at least two or three more tries. We'll move on to Ulster v Benetton, and this was a huge game in the context of Conference B and their playoff hopes. An incredible game. It was a really, really great game, and to be fair, it, it was a huge ask for Benetton. They're going up to Raven Hill. It's not an easy place to go to. And they were missing 14 players that were rescinded to the Italian national side. That's huge. And to play with as much cohesion that they did is brilliant. And a real example to every other team that played this weekend. That This is what your team should look like when you lose players. That said, just because your team looks like that when they should lose players, you also shouldn't do what they did in the first 60 seconds of the game, which is try to play out of your own 22 in the first minute knock the ball and put yourself under a huge amount of pressure, which ultimately led to Ulster's first try. Yeah, Lowry, McCluskey and Ludic linked up really well. And I don't think Ludic will score an easier try ever again. Uh, I wouldn't want to be in the room on Monday when Benetton go through the footage of that. But they came back into the game minutes later. Yeah, as soon as you fo- the next restart, what you have to do is you have to go straight back at the opposition side. And that's exactly what Benetton did. They regained possession. They built the phases. There was a monumental carry out, out wide by the tight head prop. We talked about Leinster's forwards having silky hands. How the tight head prop for Benetton managed to get the ball away in contact, I have no idea. It all worked to the point where they got to the corner. The Benetton second row, Ruzza, just that he ran over Lowry for a try. What a physical mismatch. I mean, I feel for Lowry, I've been in that position where you come up against guys who have about a foot in height over you and a couple of extra stone in weight. He was never going to stop him. No, no, he really wasn't. But that was just how Benetton played, especially in the first half. They were dominating in contact and they were really looking to play ball. And as a result of dominating the contact, Ulster kind of found themselves in the back foot a couple of times. And so when you're on your back foot, you're going to end up with your defensive line becoming disjointed. And that's how you get the mismatches out wide. I was disappointed in the likes of Kieran Treadwell getting dominated by a winger though at one point. That was just yeah. not right. Yeah, that's not the type of thing you like to see. For me, Benetton looked like a more cohesive team. Also, we're relying on individual sparks of brilliance. Balakoon had some really nice sparks. There were definitely more potential for Ulster, and I don't think they fully capitalised. Uh, for me, though, I think Benetton at the same time could have built on what they had. Their line-out was working well. I think they probably could have done with a little bit more territory in the first half. For the amount of position they had, they should have scored more in the first half. Ultimately, yeah, you're right. They should have scored more. You need to keep the scoreboard ticking over. You need to try and build some type of pressure, and they just didn't do that. In the second half, Ulster came out all guns to blazing. A great mole try, one from the Leinster playbook. Whatever was said at halftime, whatever went into the Kool-Aid, it worked. They threw the absolute kitchen sink at Benetton and they came away with a well-deserved mole try. But a second missed conversion. I think Mike Lowry was taking this one because Billy Burns missed the first. It looked like he was carrying an injury and being asked to play the full 80 minutes is odd. Yeah, I picked up on that too and I thought it was maybe it was just mind games in my own head. But uh, then the commentators alluded to it too. And it's like everything in life. If Once it's been pointed out to you, you can't unsee it. He was limping. For me, that's a really bad coaching call to keep him on the pitch. It's bad in terms of we're constantly talking about player welfare, but player welfare extends far beyond just concussions. Benetton dominated the next 20, 25 minutes and didn't really build up enough of a cushion 
for when Ulster switched on. I think if Benetton had been able to slot a couple of penalties or maybe gone over in the corner once more, I think they would have been in a far more comfortable position to ride out the rest of the game. And from the 68th minute on, when Benetton started giving away penalties, for the first time I've seen them this season start to lose their composure a small bit. The momentum really swung in Ulster's direction. But what shocked me is they went for the corner instead of going for the post for some easy kicks. And this was a drawn game. In a drawn game, taking your points is crucial. And Ulster ultimately made that mistake. And to be honest, this game hinged on a really bad call by Nigel Owens. Yeah, so I don't like blaming a referee for the outcome of a game. And particularly one that's so experienced as Nigel Owens. But Pork was watching the game about 20 minutes after me. And I asked, just keep an eye out for the last penalty of the game and the second Ulster player that comes into the ruck. And you replied back with? We don't have a bleep machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically from what we both agreed on is the first Ulster player was perfectly within his right to, to poach the ball. And he did a wonderful job in it. But there was a second Ulster player who came in so much from the side, he came practically came in from around the back. Yeah. And he totally blocked the replacement hooker for Benetton clearing out that. And this is one of those things that Nigel Jones usually pings nine times out of ten. I also don't think Nigel likes teams running out the clock, but him not liking it isn't good enough reason to allow for a turnover penalty. Yeah, no, you're right. I don't think Nigel Owens likes teams running down the clock, and he is known for being quite strict on teams sealing out the rook, but that doesn't give him the right to ignore other infringements of the breakdown. That did lead to a penalty into the corner and the Ulster Mall, which had been proven to be very strong, winning a penalty try and getting the draw. To be fair, you're going to struggle to stop any mall five metres out when you have half the back lines joined the mall as well. There wasn't an awful lot Benetton could do. And I was shocked that Ulster didn't use the set piece a lot more. Look how strong their mall was. There was a real lack of leadership at nine and ten for me. Billy Burns was injured, really shouldn't have been playing. Shanahan isn't experienced enough to lead from nine. John Cooney was missing from that team. Yeah, I think general leadership from the halfbacks was missing. Again, it comes down to management. Why do you keep playing a player that's injured? And Cooney's boot was missed again. Those two conversions, that's four points. It's a 21-7 win to Ulster. And we'll see how much that plays a factor in later in the season. Bent, on the other hand, execution. Not converting the amount of possession they had is just criminal. They had a huge amount of possession. And again, right at the end of the game, you can say anything you want about Nigel Owens missing in from the side but you have 20 seconds left to go. All you have to do is give one more pass, commit three or four players completely to that rook, and kick into touch. It's the second game in a row that we've seen in Ravenhill where the clock hasn't been correctly watched by the side that's in the leading position. And that was Friday's matches, which had a lot of drama in them. Saturday started off with a super rugby-style match. Cheetahs hosted Zebra and walloped them 61 points to 28. A nine-try route. I mean, talk about going from hot from cold. The commentators alluded to it that the Italian side were delayed leaving Italy because their plane had to be de-iced to arrive over to a clear blue sky and 35 degrees Celsius. This game had water breaks. Both teams were feeling the heat. I think it was after the first try I was watching Carlos Canna and I couldn't tell whether his face had carpet burn from the grass, sunstroke or sunburn. All the above. <laughs> I think Cheetah has shown what they can do when they have possession and when they run the ball, but they also showed us that they still don't know how to defend. No, but they didn't have to do much defending because they had so much of the ball. Maxwane and Yar are just so dangerous when they link up, and they linked up beautifully for that first try. That first try as well, the use of Maxwane's knees to shepherd the ball over the try line was 
absolutely beautiful. And his ability to then catch it and touch it down, one of the nicer try you'll see this season. Well, as nice a try you're going to see for the next five minutes, because Zebra returned with their own champagne rugby offloading try literally a couple of minutes later. I don't know whether or not they've decided to start producing champagne in Italy or they've just been importing it from France, but these guys are drinking it from somewhere. I really do think it's a top-down thing for the Italian teams. Benetton play with a very expansive style. Zebra now doing it as well. I think Conor Shea wants these guys to be ball players and get the Italian team playing some nice rugby. Yeah, I think as well from the league's point of view as well, it shows the development that we've seen both in the Italian side and in the South African side in the last two years. And I think it's a really positive thing for the league as a whole. We need every team to be of a good standard, not just five or six. What impressed me about Zebra though is even though they lost, they knew they had to slow down the cheetah's ball. They were going for everything. It's kind of a catch-22. Cheetahs are going to try and beat you out wide, but if you don't commit men to the rook they're going to have ball that's too fast and you're not going to be able to stop them. So they're a difficult side to deal with defensively. And, you know, that's what happened. Malcolm Yara scored another try on 13 minutes. Like, we're not going to go through all the tries because they were just incredible. There's Um, also just too many of them. (laughs) That is true. This was a game that Cheetahs needed. Like, their pack was on top, their set piece was on top. They were scoring tries for fun at times. Yeah, it, at times you almost question whether or not you were watching a game of Rugby Sevens with the amount of times the, the whitewash was being crossed. Like, this game was really fun to watch. Oxnet J, again, showing how valuable he is to Cheetahs. Maxwane, like I said earlier on, showing how invaluable he is to Cheetahs. At one point, the two nines faced up. Nankantwana ran over his opposite number, Renton, and scored one of the easiest tries he'll ever score. Yeah, I think he decided for his own player welfare, he was just going to step aside. But what was really interesting, Zebri, not that they never gave up, but they still tried to stick to how they wanted to play. They kept popping the ball and moving it. Yeah, they trusted their systems, and that's a good thing to see in a side. You, it's really easy when you fall that far behind to just see teams become dejected and give up. On, on the 15-minute mark, they scored two tries fairly quickly. I thought, all right, they're going to come back into this, but no. No, but at the same time, it's still important. They kept going, and they managed to score four tries and come away with a losing bonus point. For Cheetahs, though, a blot on this game will be the red card. Idiocy. I have no idea what he was doing. I have no idea what he thought he was doing or how he would thought that would benefit his side. Listening to it, you can't argue with White House's interpretation of it either. Shoulder to the neck and head. Goodbye. The problem is Zebra conceded with two tries with an extra man. One thing I noticed just after the Zebra had gone behind, it was about 39-17. It was before they came back for their two tries. Carlos kind of had dropped his shoulders. His body language was terrible. And it just was just as he was about to restart. He clearly didn't restart the ball the way he wanted to. And they just dropped even further. And for any side, when your 10 is essentially looks like he's given up, that's just criminal. And with Tommaso Allen being rested this week, clearly as the 10 for Italy, McKinley and Canna were playing for that 22 jersey. McKinley wins out from this week showing. Oh, absolutely. You can't have a number 10 with leadership skills that are that poor. Your 10 is essentially the driver of your school bus. You have your forwards in the front pulling you along like an engine and you've got your school kids in the back. They're they're there for the ride and occasionally they make a mess and you ask your forwards to tidy it up. (laughs) And so immediately after this restart then, what was nice to see though is that the Zebra captain Biagi looked around and said, right, we need to dig ourselves out of this hole. And he did a pure captain's role of leading by example. He got within the 22 of the Cheetahs and said, right, I'm going over. I'm not being stopped. And went through about three players to score the first of those two quick tries in succession. It was Great a, leadership. Really good leadership. It's the first time, though, that pack actually got some proper go-forward ball for Zebra. The Cheetahs pack is just monster. 
Yeah, it is monster, which makes it even more impressive that he managed to score that try. I have no idea how every fiber of his being managed to stretch that far to reach the try line. Yeah, you're right. That was really impressive. And it was such a letdown to go from a game with so many tries and blue skies to go to a game in Rodney Park with Dragons v Monster in wet, cloudy conditions. And Monster scraped out of here with a 7 points to 8 victory. As a Monster fan, I would have been sweating to the point where at least the rain would have covered it up. And Dragons started this game like they have since Bernard Jackman left. They were just pinning the ball back, letting Monster play from their own 22. And tactically, for me, we're just a bit better than Monster across this 80 minutes. The difference in this Dragon side in the last couple of weeks is night and day. They have come on in leaps and bounds that I actually genuinely wouldn't have given them credit to um, several weeks ago. Whereas if you look at Monster, they're kicking more contestably. And I don't think that was the right tactic in these type of conditions. No, in these type of conditions, you're wet, you're windy, it's muddy, you play for territory. It's a shame the commentators didn't realise that's the best way to play this match. The commentators in this particular game were close contenders for me for Clown of the Round, in particular Donica Callan. I actually started this match in Air Sports and moved to TG Car because I just couldn't listen to him anymore. I just assumed he would get better and he actually managed to get worse and to be fair I don't think Peter Stringer and Tommy Bow were any better at halftime. No, the Eddie O'Sullivan impersonations were rife in Air Sports. I think it's just important to highlight the contrast between the commentary in this game to the game in the Glasgow Ospreys on Friday night. Both games played in wet, windy, miserable conditions, and it just shows how enjoyable or unenjoyable a game can be when the commentators either do or don't want to be there. That being said, there wasn't much action on the pitch to talk of. Hibbert lost his mind thinking he could kick a ball through a rock and Munster take the first three. Uh, no, I'm going to give Hibbert an absolute pass there. O- old Hobbard's die hard, and if you see that ball, I'd still kick it as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Even though I thought the ref was fairly inconsistent. Like, if you're a Dragons fan, you mean scream in your mind senseless because I think Munster getting away with the dark hearts at mall time. I mean, ultimately, what most players look for from a ref is they want consistency and clear communication. And at times, I think that was missing from the ref. Sometimes he would say, okay, yeah, that's a fine, clear turnover or a good jackal. Other times he would say, no, you've gone beyond the ball and you're sweeping. And to be honest, I was seeing a mixture in both cases. I don't know how because it was 35 minutes before we got the ref mic into the TV. But um, there wasn't much talk of points from that first half, but Dragons were worth their lead with their early try. They got in the right position of the pitch and they had a couple of really strong, consistent carries one after another. And eventually they crossed the line. And when you look at how Munster finished a half on the try line, not scoring a try because of a double movement, it's such a contrast in play. I think the TMO did well to pick this up because I'll be honest, I missed it. But that crawling on his hands and feet to get over the line from Archer, pretty unfortunate from a Munster perspective. It really was. But they came out and for me, Munster didn't take their kick goal enough in the second half. They made this game tighter than it needed to be. So for a while, I couldn't understand at all. And if I was a Munster fan, I would have been pulling my hair out. It became a bit more apparent later in the game when Dragons had a penalty at the 10 meter line and the trajectory of the ball was closer to a boomerang than an attempt at goal. So the weather conditions were definitely playing a factor. But you and I both agreed there were several occasions where Munster were in front of the sticks and should have taken the three. It was almost as if it was self-inflicted scoreboard pressure. They had the opportunity to go ahead. They had the opportunity to put pressure on Dragons. They didn't take those opportunities. And then as a result, they put themselves under pressure. And Dragons were doing the exact same thing. Ollie Griffiths was lucky not to be yellow carded just before half time for a mad swinging arm. And then this wild drop goal attempt, which there was no need for. Yeah, it just felt a bit panicked or a bit rushed. 
if he'd just kicked for the corner, particularly considering how good the lineout was both defensively and offensively for Dragons. But Munster did eke out this win in the end. Dragons got another yellow card. Munster's mall was on top. And it was a Johnson tap and go, putting the only injection of pace into this game that got them over in the end. Yeah, it was an injection of pace that was well needed as well. I think in some respects, Dragons were almost caught napping. They really were. And after some good phases, Munster did get their rewards. They were deserved winners for this game for me. There's a difference between both teams. With Munster had more individual talents, just carry them over the line. Once plan one wasn't working for Dragons, they didn't really have a backup plan. Yeah, their kick for territory, hope Munster make mistakes and score points, didn't seem to work. To be fair to them, it is the best tactic that you can go in considering who you're playing and the weather conditions. Um, I think it just shows the slight difference in class between the calibers of players both teams had access to. But Munster won't be happy with their decision making. In a poor game, in bad conditions, they never took the points in offer and they just made some bad decisions with ball in hand. So that again, it comes down to leadership on the pitch. You want someone on the pitch to go, no, this is where we take our points. Let's kick it over the bar, come back and go again. As well as Dragon started, their composure fell apart quickly penalty after penalty after penalty yeah i think they just tried to force it a bit too much they tried to force it between the offside line and trying to compete for ball they shouldn't have been competing for speaking of penalties kings v edinburgh a 25 points win to 21 for the kings they have now done the one two over both scottish teams this season yeah and i'd say they must be delighted for it you could see it on the sidelines they were celebrating like this was a world cup win almost well, I mean, to be fair, this is probably about as close to the World Cup most of those players are going to get to. <laughs> fair enough. But King started very quickly. Some really good carries, creating that two-on-one for their first try. I don't really understand what was happening with the Edinburgh defensive line. It seemed like they almost had a hangover from the previous weekend. Yeah, Basson with an incredible chip and chase to finish. But three Edinburgh players just looking at him. Yeah, they were kind of left with their hands in their pocket going, Who- who's going to get that? And no one really put their hands up and took responsibility for it. Their response was incredible. Just like Zebra in the earlier match came back and scored a try. And that's what you want to see. And to be fair, I would expect no less from Edinburgh based on how they played this season. It was the way to score tries against the Kings. Keep possession, keep composed and gaps will come. It was just a little pop pass to the, on r- rushing 12 for the try. Yeah, it's it's simple stuff, but simple stuff works in rugby. If you keep building the phases, if you keep testing the defence, you'll eventually find a weakness. It's a shame that they weren't able to maintain it. It just seemed like they didn't have the patience to trust themselves that this was going to work in the, in the long term against the Kings. And that's ultimately where I think they went wrong. And their pack was so dominant. Their scrum was on top to the point where Papuma, the starting Kings tight head, got hooked off after 23 minutes. Yeah, he was having a very tough day at the office. To be fair to the Edinburgh front front five, they've been having a great season and they've continued this on throughout the day. And it's mad. There was no scores for the remainder of the first half. Edinburgh controlled all the ball. The second half was the same. They controlled all the ball. At one point, they went through 31 phases with no score. It was madness. And given the amount of penalties that they kicked to the corner, the Kings' poor discipline once again rearing its ugly head that they should have kicked, they would have won the game before trying to get the the try-bonus point. I think at times, teams are guilty of, we need to come away from this game with a try-bonus point, and they forget and lose sight that they need to win the four points first. And maybe if the ref had yellow-carded Kings a lot sooner for their mucking around at the mall and scrum time, that would have happened for Edinburgh. But 60 minutes for yellow card in a game with this much ill-discipline was shocking. The ref kept giving warnings and kept giving warnings. And ultimately, you can only warn players so many times, particularly forwards. We're a simple folk. <laughs> Look, they got a penalty try off the next mall, but then nothing for the next 10 minutes. When they had the man advantage, 
And then they got another mall try when Kings had their full complement on the pitch. Yeah, they didn't really do themselves any favours. You would have thought, we have a man advantage, let's do it now. But no, Edinburgh wanted to do it the hard way and wait till Kings were back to a full complement. There was one more yellow in this match. I'd feel Edinburgh fans will see it hard done by. The first penalty they practically gave away in the game, especially in the second half, it's a straight yellow card. He was sandbagging a small bit of the rock, but not really yellow card worthy. Uh, it was a tough call, but again, I suppose at that point, the ref has made his decision. Now he's going to be more strict and just start sending players off. A pity it didn't happen earlier in the game. I just think he was ref in Edinburgh like he had just started ref in the Kings and forgot they were different teams. Yeah, it was like a team warning was given to both sides, even though one side was the ones giving away penalties. After that yellow, this game kicked into life and the smash and grab by Kings was incredible. Yeah, they're... I don't know what happened. The intensity came out of nowhere and I think it took Edinburgh by surprise. From that penalty, they get a try that gets them back into the game. Then off the next kickoff, they score a wonder try. You talk about fairy tales or dreams coming through to be able to snatch this victory from the jaws of defeat. Southern Kings will go home very happy players. Their coaching staff won't be. That's another 18 penalties given away. Another yellow card. This is something that really needs to be worked on. Yeah, it seems to be an issue with culture. It's almost like they don't trust their defence and so they feel the need to always try and push the, the letter of the law because there's no way they'll be able to defend otherwise. And I suppose that comes down to confidence in your own defensive systems. Edinburgh, on the other hand, how many errors did we see throughout this game from not collecting restarts to knocking on the ball to just not having patience? I'd say Cockrell will be at least mildly to moderately sedated for that flight back to Edinburgh. I say be definitely heavily, but he will be happy with how his set piece worked. Yeah, that's true. I think there's always some positives that he can take away from the game and build on, but there are issues he's going to have to address, both in terms of inconsistency of defence and giving away penalties themselves. If you saw the scoreline, you'd almost feel sorry for Edinburgh, but they didn't take their points. They could have won this game a lot easier. They made it hard on themselves, and it cost them. Yeah, it's cost them, and hopefully it doesn't come back to bite them later in the season. Speaking of things that are going to bite teams back later in the season... Cardiff hosted Connacht in another in-conference match, and this was a big one for Conference A, and Cardiff come out 8-7 winners. This was a terrible game of rugby. Do you want to skip it? Are you okay? I can talk about it. It's okay. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that you're okay, but you have to acknowledge Cardiff came out like a bat out of hell. First 10 minutes were absolutely on fire, and they probably deserved their three points. Yeah, they were. They had the wind at their backs, and they played the game right. They kept us pinned back. We were panicking with ball in hand. I don't know what was going on. Yeah, it's an unusual to see because sports ground is a windy venue. I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, I think Cardiff played to those weather conditions quite well. I don't know why you guys would normally be more comfortable with ball in hand when you're playing into the wind, but it just didn't seem that way today. No, it was really poor. Just the passing in general was poor, like you say. Cardiff conceded two yellow cards in that open 40 minutes and we came out with zero points. Yeah, so statistically... Every yellow card that a team gets, the side that has the full complement of 15 men score on average 14 points per yellow card. How did you guys come away with no points? I have no idea. It was the first time our 9, 10, 12 had played together as a unit, but our 9 and 10, Mitchell and Horrence had definitely had game time together. They should have been clicking better. Yeah, okay, so that's the excuse for the first yellow card. What was the excuse for the second yellow card? No, no, they were <laughs> we had, No, no, they were at the same time. Okay. There's no excuse to not scoring when you have a two-man advantage. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty poor. I think another issue that you guys had was your breakdown work. Cardiff did a very good job of winning the tur- an awful lot of turnovers in the deck. They really did. Nick Williams especially, just a mountain man to move. 
but a lot of players are running up blind alleys and our back row weren't working hard enough. When they did, we got good clean ball, but it wasn't enough to really do damage. So do you think it's an issue with players only running up a blind alleyway or was it a lack of work rate from the back row or any of the front eight? I think it's actually both. Sometimes you'd see a player running up a blind alley and getting turned over and then sometimes you'd see a pack member just not being aware to the danger. I think you've got two weeks now to sort that out. I think it's something you're going to have to address. You either need to have a more defined plan where you're going to run when you've got one-out runners, but also you need a greater work rate from your back row. Yeah, we really do. And I really do think we were lucky to only be 8-0 down at half time. So then we move on then to the second half, and you had the reverse. Cardiff playing into the wind seemed really comfortable on the ball, the total opposite of what Connacht had in the first half. They really did look the more composed of the two teams out there. We had so many errors, so many knock-ons, so many passes to no one. It was really disappointing to see this is a game we should have won. Yeah, I think the issue is is that when you have that level of inconsistency, you're knocking it on, you're knocking it on, you're never really going to build any momentum. And when Fitzgerald came on, who did make a difference, I have to say, he played really good tactically. There was a, a point where I think he should have gone for the posts. Well, we were 8-0 down, take any point available. We went to the corner and knocked on when our mall was doing very well. Like, they're small, basic stuff that we just can't happen. I'm a forward, so I always say take the points, take the points, take the points. Keep the scoreboard ticking over. We can come back and go again. But I think that decision to go for the corner was because we were getting such slow ball because of Cardiff's work rate at the breakdown. We were attacking really deep. We weren't getting the best front football in the world. Yeah, that's a valid point to consider as well. Then when you're struggling to get fast ball, trust your mall, trust trust your set piece, go from there. The turning point for a constructive to get them a losing bonus point were some huge turnovers but from Fahenga and Butler in our own 22 that let us clear down the line on two separate occasions. And then at one point, after a huge kick by Tyrion Halloran, Owen Lane carries the ball back into his in-goal area to touch down. From that scrum, we get our try. So it was a really, really solid, cohesive scrum then from Connacht. You could see that the entire back row from Cardiff were completely pinned down. He had a good carry off the base of that, and after a few phases, Boyle was able to touch down. His introduction really did make a difference. That was the final score in this game. Nothing else happened. It was an awful loss from a Connacht perspective. I think individual performances again, Butler, Fanga, Killian Gallagher making his first start for Connacht, looked like a senior player. Fitzgerald when he came on, Paul Boyle making a difference, but nothing really cohesive. Yeah, so I think there's two two aspects of this. First of all, I think rugby is always just a game of small margins I think from a Connacht perspective there's not an awful lot you need to fix so I wouldn't be that worried as a Connacht fan from a Carter's perspective they'll be really happy with the, how this game went they managed to close out a really tight game which is just something they really struggled with for the first half of the season it's something that me and Oshin have highlighted on numerous occasions yeah, the work weight in particular, the breakdown from Cardiff, I think is something that really ultimately won them this game. And when with their internationals missing, to see the likes of Nick Williams at eight and Lloyd Williams at nine just being a constant presence is so useful. Yeah, when Nick Williams decide he wants to play, he is an incredible player and he's very difficult to stop. He really is. And those results have had a huge impact on the conference tables. If we look at conference A first, there are 10 points separating first and fifth. That is two wins or two losses but that's exactly what you want from a league you want to have as many teams as possible in tight concession all the way to the end of the season that's Munster on top at 48 followed by Glasgow on 46 then there's a drop Ospreys and Connacht both on 38 points then Cardiff on 36 but here's the thing Toyota Cheetahs have a game in hand against Kings 
a try bonus point win there that puts them on 36 that is six teams effectively in the running for playoff spots from the expansion of the pro 14 two years ago to this it's been a great development for the league Sadly, Zebra are still holding up the league, but they are trying to play a better brand of rugby. It'll just take them time. I think it's just going to take time for them to develop their players, to have the skills, to play the type of rugby they want to play. But having seen the game against Cheetahs, I think there's a lot of positives there. In Conference B, Leinster are running away with it. On 58 points, that's 21 points out of their nearest rivals. Yeah, there's nothing I can say that won't sound smug. (laughs) Fair. This conference is all about the battle for those playoff spots. It's Benetton, Edinburgh, Scarlets and Ulster. All with two points separating them. 37, 36, 35 and 35 each. Yeah, to have four teams in that close succession going for the play- other playoff spot. And to be fair, from a Leinster perspective, any of those four sides would be difficult or a fear to play against. But as normal, Dragons and Kings are popping up this conference. The shake-up next season, I'd like to see a, a few different part matchups in the leagues. That's true as well, but I think the other thing to take in mind is the fact that you've seen the improvement from Dragon in the last couple of weeks since departure of some of the coaching staff. Next season, I think Dragons will be a much more improved side to play against. Hopefully for the league. And that brings us on to our second row top performer and clown the round. And I'm going to pick the top performer as I know what the clown the round more than likely is going to be. For me, I don't think you can look past the king substitute Penke. He came on in the second half versus Edinburgh and his sublime offload was the difference between the winning and losing of that game for Kings. I think it was probably like the bow on top or the cherry on top. It was a nice way to wrap up the double win over both of the Scottish sides. It really was. I do think there's got to be special mentions though for Tom Daly. I don't think he got enough credit for his performance for Leinster. No, it's been good to see him back and he's he's shown that he's still the great player that he is and he has a lot of potential. And... I'm going to let you pick the second row clown around. We had two options, Paul Asquith for that knock-on and what I think is going to be your your actual choice. So yeah, we had the first option was Paul Asquith and I was at the RDS and saw the replay and I genuinely felt bad for him. He spilled the ball going over the line. Okay, it's a lesson to younger kids. Don't die when you don't need to. But I actually genuinely felt bad for him. Clown of the round definitely has to go to Tiernan for that. I don't even know. Could you call it an attempt at a drop goal? I really don't know. It was a poor decision, even worse execution, and it really is clown-worthy. I'll be honest, I hadn't seen this game live. I was watching the recording afterwards, but Porik sent me a video link uh, that he'd put up on Facebook of Tiernan's attempt, and I replied back with just a recording of me laughing. (laughs) (laughs) That is very fair. It's one of those ones, if he kicks that over, he's a hero. He misses, he's a clown. And he's our clown of the round. Definitely. So our top performer this week is the Kings Penke and our clown around is Tiernan O'Halloran. And we'll quickly move on to look through next week's fixtures. Only one Pro 14 fixture. Yeah, that's right. So next week we have Cheetahs versus Kings. And ultimately that's going to be a pretty important game for Cheetahs. If they can come away with a bonus point win or try a bonus point win, that puts them right back in contention up at 36 points. It really does. And I think the real news from next week is the beginning of the Six Nations and France hosts Wales on the Friday night. This is my favourite time of the year. Sixmas. On Saturday, Scotland hosts Italy. And on Saturday afternoon then, Ireland hosts England in a blockbuster match. Yeah, so there's already been rumblings in the newspaper. Eddie Jones has been doing what Eddie Jones normally does, which is talk nonsense. He's been talking apparently at the uh, opening of the Six Nations. He said that Ireland needed to prepare for some hand grenades. I hear Eddie Jones saying stuff I literally switch off. Like, there's so little point to what he says at this stage. Also next week, the Women's Six Nations kicks off and Ireland also hosts England. 
Yeah, so it's on Friday night at five o'clock in Donnybrook. So I believe the two of us and a few others are going to be joining us down in Donnybrook to support the Irish side. Well, we really will. And I'll be doing a fan cam like I do on YouTube for the Hawks matches that I get to go to. Also starting next weekend is the America's Rugby Championship. And when we're back for the Pro 14, we'll be talking about these matches because the Pro 14 doesn't happen in a bubble. No, the Pro 14 doesn't happen in a bubble. And I think ultimately in a World Cup year, it's good to highlight the fact that we're trying to develop the sport internationally. And I think the American Champions Cup would be a really good way of them trying to develop the sport within the American market. Especially with Major League Rugby taking off in the USA. There's a lot of growth to happen there. Yeah, huge potential. And that's us for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Me and Oshin won't be back for Six Nations. We're going to try and sit down and enjoy it more as viewers than analysts for once. I mean, I'll still be on the sideline with uh, spreadsheets and taking notes and trying to come up with statistics, but uh, Oshin will then steal them when you guys are back. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Don't forget, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much every other podcasting app there is available. So please like, rate, and subscribe as you're listening right now. Thanks everyone for listening. So until next time, take care and goodbye. Take care, guys.